Hello, this is Brian Bullington, and I am pastor of New Song Family Church in Ventuk, Namibia. I'm so glad that you have joined us today, and it's my prayer that this podcast message will help you to grow closer to Jesus as you walk daily with Him. Good morning, everybody. Uh, good. <laughs> um, so can we all take our seats? And I think I want to take this moment to uh, invite the helpers to just help uh, distribute uh, almost at the Last Supper. I keep confusing the Last Supper with communion. So, <laughs> uh, so this morning I have been uh, tasked with, um, you know, uh, bring, leading communion uh, with everybody uh, to everybody, and I uh, just want to like start it off with reminding the purpose of uh, communion, which is to remember what Christ has done for us. Uh, it's uh, one of the last things that he says that we should do in remembrance of him. Uh, this is something that uh, should be done by people who have accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Um, and to just take that time, we should be done regularly to remember what he has done for us. I will be going through the suffering, the death, and the burial of Jesus. Um, and just giving my perspective uh, on things. Since nobody is crucified today, uh, a few of us don't realize how painful and how gruesome the crucifixion was. However, if there was a film uh, that had to be done this accurately in detail, it would probably be R-rated. I think it's important for us to understand the mental, the emotional, and the physical suffering that Jesus went through. So we begin in the Garden of uh, Gethsemane where Jesus goes to the Mount of Olives to pray in preparation of the suffering that is coming his way. He asks for the Father for this cup to be taken away from him but still submitting to the Father's will. He's strengthened by an angel and he continues to pray to the point where he, sets, he sweats blood. So I want to take this moment just to help you understand that nobody understands the wrath of the Father like the Son. The very same way that we understand the punishment that can come our way when we disobey our earthly fathers, Jesus, who has been with the Father since before the beginning of time, and who has seen all the events through the Old Testament, and the punishment that went to the people who disobeyed God, who went against him, Jesus is very familiar to the weight and the gravity of sin, the price and the punishment for sin, and the Father's wrath towards sin. And Jesus is in agony knowing that he's moments away from that wrath coming towards himself. Looking at this, it can be argued that Jesus is already suffering or experiencing mental suffering. The agony and the stress that fell upon him is so much that he begins to sweat blood, a medical condition or a rare medical condition that is called hematidrosis, which can be caused by the capillaries bursting when somebody is in extreme distress or fear for when they're facing death, torture, or severe ongoing abuse. 
in Luke 22, 47, Jesus encounters another kind of suffering which I categorize as emotional suffering. One of his close friends betrays him, which makes this uh, betrayal even more hurtful is the fact that What makes this betrayal um, extremely hurtful is the fact that it comes in the form of affection. Though Jesus sees this betrayal coming and is not surprised by it, this is still coming from somebody that he considers a friend. And betrayal is not something that comes from enemies, but it comes from friends, loved ones, and family. Jesus experienced another type of betrayal from another friend. One who can be, we can say that this is Jesus' number one fan. This kind of friend shows him devotion and expressed his, the love that he has for him and by saying that we'll be friends until the end. In our day, we would call this person a ride or die. A person that is willing to do anything for their friend, even if it means facing danger, and is willing to die alongside them. Jesus then witnesses his friend put to the test and to see whether he's truly devoted to him and he sees his friend deny him repeatedly. Jesus goes on to be beaten and mocked. He suffers uh, humiliation. The same people that are mocking him are the people that <laughs> he came to save. Today, a sinful man can mock another sinful man and it can lead to death. In this situation, we're seeing sinful men mock a righteous God. Jesus is then sentenced to death. Pilate orders Jesus to be flogged before being crucified. The instruments of torture are not the kind of whips that we would see in slavery movies or a shambok that we see in apartheid films, which can be argued that are being used to get people to act in a certain way or to stay in line or to motivate them to do work. The tools that were used against Jesus were simply made to inflict as much pain as possible. At the end of this, whips. They had stone fragments, nails, and sharp bones that are used to tear skin and rip flesh. There was an ancient Jewish law that um, permits people to only be lashed to about 40 or 39 lashes because they would most likely die beyond that point. However, the ministers of torture were not Jewish. They were Roman soldiers who did not care about the limit that was put on there and possibly went beyond that. Jesus is then beaten within an inch of his life. They beat him so badly that they only left him with enough strength to go to walk to his destination of execution. The piece of wood is strapped onto Jesus, on, onto his back, piercing his open flesh. Jesus carried this cross of, on his back, and unlike today where the cross is a symbol of faith or a fashion statement to some people that can easily be hidden when you're in a 
place where Christians are not welcome, at this point in history, the cross was a symbol of shame and disgrace. Carrying this was people simply saying that you are the lowest of the lows. And as I mentioned before that, he was, he was only given enough strength to, to carry the instrument of death to the destination of his death. I was slightly mistaken because they inflicted so much pain on him that he couldn't carry it all the way, that they had to call Simon to help. Jesus finally reaches Golgotha. Jesus is nailed to the cross. And the way and the manner that he has been nailed to the cross is so that his body can uh, or his hands can support his body by piercing the nails through his wrists. At this point, it's difficult for Jesus to breathe. Every single breath that he takes is a struggle. And it causes pain throughout his entire body. And it makes it even more difficult because of the flogging that he received earlier. Every breath that Jesus takes at this point is precious. And with the precious breath that he has left, he uses it to pray for the people that are mocking him. As Jesus begins to breathe his last, nature responds to this by the sun, um, the light in the sun dimming. Death begins to approach Jesus, but is unable to take him until the cup is fully consumed. With pain still running through his body, he says it is finished. And finally, he can al allow his body to die. With one last surge of strength, he presses his torn feet against the nails, strengthens his legs, looks unto heaven, and utters, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Joseph, a member of the, of the council who did not agree to Jesus being crucified, goes to Pilate and asks for his body. Then he takes the body of Jesus, wraps it in linen cloth, places it in the tomb, and soldiers are uh, put around the tomb, and the tomb is sealed to prevent people from stealing Jesus' body. It is very important for us to remember what Jesus has done for us. And the ultimate purpose is not to make anybody feel guilty for the sins that we have committed, but to remember the price that was paid for our sins. But let our hearts not be troubled, for the resurrection is coming. May we take communion.
we may begin to take the bread in remembrance of the body of Christ that went through all the agony for our sins. Let us take the wine, or in this case, juice, for the blood that was shed, the blood that covers us today. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you, Lord, for what you have done for us. Lord, we thank you for sending your son to take on the suffering and the death that we should have taken. Father, I pray that we never look at what has happened and uh, trivialize it and for it to become a normal thing. But I pray that whenever we read, whenever we watch, whenever we hear about it, that we are moved to bring more people close to you. Father, I pray that we continue to remember this and to have um, communion with believers just to give us this strength and to give us this adoration and this love for you. For you loved us first. And Father, I pray that you would give us the boldness to also tell other people about you, to tell this amazing story of what you have done for us. Lord, we thank you for every single drop of blood that was shed. And Lord, I pray that we continue to appreciate this. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What a height of love, what depths of fear. Is I still when striving sees my comforter, my all in all, hearing the love of Christ. alone who took on flesh fullness of God in helpless pain this gift of love and righteousness scorned by the ones he came to say till on the cross as Jesus died the wrath of God was satisfied on him was laid here in the death of Christ alone. There in the ground his body lay, light of the world by darkness lay. Then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. And as he stands in victory, since curses lost his grip on me, for I am his and he is mine. Bought with the precious blood of Christ. This is the power of Christ in me, from life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands by destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can never pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ I'll stand No power of hell, no scheme of man Can never pluck me from his hand Till he returns or calls me home Here in the power of Christ I'll stand
eat. As we can continue on in the journey of uh, this special weekend, we look at, I was reading all four of the accounts in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and how fun it is to realize that they all are, are reporting little nuances that are different, uh, that, that they are giving an account of, slightly different parts of the same story. Uh, during the first century, the account of a testimony of a woman was not admissible into court. Her testimony uh, was not regarded as credible at all. And so when you realize Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are all giving accounts of women, then we have to understand at that stage, it has to be true. If they were going to quote women and tell the story of what women were telling, then there was proof that what these women were saying was actually true. These women were given the privilege of being the first to recognize that the grave was empty, that the resurrection had occurred. These women were also the first to see Jesus. They also were given first the task to take the good news that Jesus is alive. At the cross, we saw that in the scriptures that there were women, the women that had followed Jesus. They were serving Jesus along the way as he did his ministry. They followed him, and they followed him to the cross. And the Bible says that they were watching from a distance as he was being crucified. When he was actually pronounced dead, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for permission to take his body and bury it in his own grave. The women followed behind to make sure they knew where they were laying Jesus. And as they saw that, then they went home to prepare the spices to embalm his body. But by the time they got that ready, the Sabbath had begun. So by law, they had to rest at that stage. But early on Sunday morning, early, some say in still while it was still dark, some say at dawn, some say very early, the women started making their way to the tomb. And on their way, some of them asked each other, who's going to roll the stone away for us? How are we going to get inside the tomb to embalm Jesus' body? And as they go, they're discussing this. As they arrive, they looked up and saw that the stone had been rolled away, that huge stone had been rolled away. One says, one account says an angel was sitting on it. Do you see it? An angel just sitting on the stone, swinging his legs, carefree, smiling, because he's got a great story for them to discover. So they went in, but they didn't find his body there. And as they stood there, they were so puzzled. Can you imagine this? All their spices to embalm a dead person, and they cannot find the body. But suddenly two men, two angels appear, and they, uh, the women, of course, are terrified. And always, every time an angel appears in scripture, they say, don't be afraid, because they're terrified of this. And so the women bowed their faces down, and the men asked, in one account it says, why are you looking among the dead for the living? What an amazing question. Why are you in a tomb looking for someone that's alive? He isn't here. He's risen from the dead. 
And then the angel says, remember what he told you? Do you remember he said that he would be gone for three days and that he would rise again on the third day? The women quickly ran from the tomb. And it's funny, if you read Matthew, everything is quickly, suddenly, and running and rushing. Everything in Matthew's account. Quickly, running, rushing, all these things, back and forth, back and forth, remembering what God had said, what Jesus had told them, and them going to tell this good news, to give the message. And as uh, they were running to give the angel's message to the disciples, one group of women, as they were running, uh, Jesus met them, and they greeted him, and again, they ran to him, grasped at his feet, and they worshiped him. And as they went, Jesus tells them, go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. Can you imagine these women as they start running back in the word that they use as they rushed back to the 11 disciples and everyone else to tell them what had happened? I was telling Brian, I think that this, to me, because I know women, um, there's so many different accounts of this kind of parts here. But can you imagine women rushing in where these disciples are? You know they were all talking at one time. Every woman was talking at one time. And you know they were excited and they were running over each other and telling the same thing and telling something new and telling details. And the disciples are going, what? What are you saying? Slow down. And they didn't. They didn't slow down. They kept talking. Also in John, it tells us the story of Mary Magdalene, the one that Jesus had delivered her from seven demonic spirits, the one that had followed him and had stood at the cross when other people were afraid to stand with him. And she had gone to the grave, and she saw the two white-robed angels there. And she says, uh, as she's looking there, they, and she's crying, the angel says, why are you crying? And she says, because they've taken my Lord away, and I don't know where they have put him. And she turned to leave, and as she was leaving, she saw someone else standing there, and the man says, why are you crying? Again, she's asked that. And Jesus says to her, who are you looking for? And she thought he was the gardener. And she said, sir, if you know where they have put my Jesus, would you tell me? And I will go and get him. And soon as he said her name, he said, Mary, she knew. She knew this was Jesus. And Jesus tells her, go tell my brothers. Go tell them I am going to ascend to my father and your father, my God and your God. And Mary ran to the disciples and found them. And the first thing she says is, I have seen the Lord. Think about these phrases. Why are you looking among the dead for the living? Don't you remember what Jesus has been telling us all along? Why are you crying? Don't you have hope in the living Savior? And who are you looking for? Are you looking for Jesus? If you don't know you're looking for Jesus, you really are. You and I are no different than the women 
that had the privilege of getting to see Jesus and getting to tell this good news of Jesus. And this news went from women to men to you and to me. We have seen the Lord. We have seen what he can do. I haven't gotten to see him physically, but I'm telling you I have experienced Jesus, and he has changed my life.
the stone is rolled away behold the end hallelujah God be salvation where your love poured out over me now my soul cries out hallelujah praise and honor unto you know that I cross my salvation where your love poured out over me now my soul cries out hallelujah praise and honor unto thee praise and honor unto thee praise and honor So in, in this whole story, as Jesus has risen from the dead, there's so many different reactions. And uh, we come to the, the reaction of Thomas, and I feel like he gets a bad rep, right? So he does one thing once, and he's labeled as doubting Thomas. We don't know if in the past he doubted when, when um, they needed to feed the 5,000. We don't hear Thomas going, this is impossible. Unless I see the fish, I don't know if this is going to happen. He doesn't say that. Right? But he speaks, and in that moment he says, and this is in uh, John chapter 20, verse 24. Uh, now people have seen Jesus, and Jesus has spoken. He's seen some of the disciples. And then it says, now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. See, the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails in the place and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. So he stays with this. And, and I always read this previously and thought, then Jesus came instantly. So it says eight days later. So this whole time, Thomas is probably arguing with the disciples. Like, no, I think this is grief speaking. Maybe some of you are desperate. You're really crazy. Something is happening here. You need to go and see someone. Right? Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them this time. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. So this, this uh, resurrected body, uh, he walks through a wall, or he came through a ceiling. I don't know how he came. But he came and stood with them, and he said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Put, your, uh, put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, My Lord, my God. Jesus, and Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And as I read, and, and as I read this, I thought, Oh, that's me. I never saw Jesus. 
but I believed and I have that, that blessing. And we often are disconnected from scripture when we read it. We look at them and we say, oh, those people, these disciples, how could they not believe? He told them. But I think of the many times in my life where I have incredible stress, incredible hardship. And just like the disciples experienced, they lost their Lord and Savior, the person who had been with them for three years, teaching them, leading them, transforming their lives completely. And then he was gone. So they under this tremendous stress. They don't know what they're going to do. They've done three years of their life not doing what they used to do. They weren't working their careers on the side and then also going with Jesus every now and then. They had devoted all of their lives to him. And so this must have been all of their lives crumbling at the same time. And I'm wondering, what are we going to do? And I often find myself when I'm in those moments, what am I going to do? I'm ashamed to say one of the first things that happens is I start to doubt who Jesus is. I say, I need to see something. I need to see some sort of a sign to know that he's still faithful. But Jesus, uh, like, like Thomas these eight days, Jesus has probably been speaking to people and been reassuring uh, him of the kingdom that he's established, that uh, what he's going to, what's going to happen and, and how the gospel is going to spread. And Thomas is still here wondering, is he here? And I often am like that a lot where I think, Jesus, are you still here? And this story is, is amazing because if, if, if you read in, in, in church history, Thomas went on to go and be an amazing missionary. It says that he reached the southern parts of India with the gospel. This doubting man went and he, he took the gospel literally thousands of kilometers. This is someone who believed. It, it, it takes something to leave everything you know and follow someone that you see, but it takes something else to go on. It takes another kind of faith to go on, to leave everything you've ever known. Leave uh, all, all, all your Jewish customs, all your people, all the people that are familiar to you and go out and share the gospel with people who, don't even, who might not even speak your language. This was a different person. This was a person transformed by Christ. And that's, um, that's something that, that is great for me to hear again and again. Because of the mercy of Jesus. Jesus in that moment doesn't say, because you didn't believe me, we're done. And sends him away. He says, believe. And Thomas took that. And that, that forgiveness from Christ, that mercy from Christ. And he probably heard when Jesus said, go out and make disciples. That command was for him as well. That Jesus takes the person who's doubtful, who is probably for those eight days, sowing seeds of doubt in everyone else's hearts. And says, you will be my witness. Just like he did with, with Peter who denied him. Just like he did with Paul who persecuted um, uh, Jesus and, and all of his disciples. He says, go out. And that's an amazing encouragement to me. But also to everyone that I come across. We are in a world today that is very post-church. That have a hard time believing. They say, if I can't see him. If there's no evidence, no proof then you're crazy. A world that uh, hates words like church and sin and Jesus and salvation. A, word that, a world that does not understand that. But we can stand in faith knowing that the way Jesus has changed our doubting hearts and continues to work with us in our doubt, he will continue to work with all those that we come across. And he will change lives and he will transform people. It is all him.
It says all power in heaven and earth has been given to him, and we need to trust in that as we move forward. Let me, let me pray. Jesus, thank you for, for who you are, uh, that you are the one who restores, you are the one who builds. Jesus, thank you um, that when we doubt, uh, when we are faithless, you are faithful, uh, that you encourage us, that you say, come, let's go, let's do this again. Believe me, and I will change you. Thank you, Jesus, for mercy that continues to follow us. May we be encouraged by this story, knowing that, Lord, even when we mess up, uh, when we've doubted, when we've walked away from you, there you have a place for us for as long as we live. Thank you, Jesus, for that mercy, that encouragement. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Rico. Uh, we read in, in Luke chapter 24, if you'd like to read with me, uh, 24 verse, starting in verse 13, the walk to Emmaus. And it just speak, it says it so beautifully here that I'd like to read it to us. That same day, that's the same day of the resurrection, the same day that Dana was talking about, where the woman rushed back. And what's interesting is uh, it says there, but the story sounded like nonsense to the men, so they didn't believe it. So verse 13, that same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they talked about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short, sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all of these things that have happened here the last few days. What things, Jesus asked. The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles, and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Then some women from our group of his followers were at his tomb early this morning, and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing, and they had seen angels who had told them Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to see, and sure enough, his body was gone, just as the woman had said. Then Jesus said to them, you foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all the prophets wrote in the scripture. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. By this time, they were nearing Emmaus. Can you imagine seven miles of walking with Jesus and him explaining? That's awesome. And at the end of their journey, Jesus acted as if he was going on. But they begged him, stay the night with us since it is getting late. So he went home with them. As they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to him, and suddenly the eyes were opened and they recognized him. And at that moment, he disappeared. Gives me goosebumps. They said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? And within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 disciples and others who had gathered with them, who said, the Lord has really risen. He appeared to Peter. And I, I read this, this passage, and it's such an encouraging passage. It, I mean, I've read it quite a few times recently, but it still gives me goosebumps. Because can you imagine walking with Jesus for seven miles? I've just come back from an outing where, where the kids had to walk three kilometers. It took a long time, okay? So can you imagine walking seven miles with Jesus and him explaining 
the scriptures. When I look at this passage and I look in light of where we are now, it's interesting. Three times Jesus speaks to them. And in each one of those three times, he asks them a question. He says, what are you discussing so intently? What things? And then he says, wasn't it clearly predicted? And so Jesus is asking questions. And I think this morning, many of us, we're here to celebrate the risen, the risen Lord, the resurrection. But I think many of us still have questions on our hearts. And what I love is that Jesus listens and he asks us questions back. The question that they then end off with, wasn't our hearts burning within us? I love the picture that Jesus walks with them, explains, and only when they sit down at the dinner table, and if you remember in the Jewish custom, the dinner table was the intimate table. That was where you sat, and that's where you, that was where the discussions happened. That's where, where fellowship happened. And it's only at that point that Jesus reveals himself to them. And I think about my own life, and I think about the lives of us. I know that this morning there might be many of us, like these two, that have sadness written over our hearts. But Jesus, he waits until we are in fellowship with him, and then he reveals himself to us. This morning, we might not understand everything that is going on right now. I know some of our stories here. We might not uh, see the, the victory yet. We might not see the resurrection. We might not know the big picture. But Jesus has done it. And one day, Jesus will reveal himself. It might be in heaven when we're with him, when we can see his hand across our lives. But I just look at this story, and it, it's just incredible for me to see how intimate Jesus wants to be with each one of us this morning. He wants to, to meet our hearts in the place where we can celebrate the incredible truth that we have. I'd, I'd like to encourage you, as you go throughout this weekend, uh, for many of us it's a, it's a break that we all need, but as you go throughout this weekend, to be reminded and to be encouraged that Jesus is walking alongside us, and he's explaining things, and sometimes we don't understand but there will always be that moment where he reveals himself. And that's the moment that, that I'm so excited for. This, this story is, is, to me, I look at it and I see how deeply Jesus wants to be involved in my life. And it's a huge encouragement. And I pray for you that this morning, excuse me, it will be encouragement for you too. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the incredible victory. Lord, I thank you that that you are so deeply and intimately involved in our lives. I thank you that, that you sent your son to die for us, that, that every area of every breath of every moment that you are involved in our lives. Lord, I thank you that, that you, want to, you want to eat with us, Father, that you want to um, be part of everything and, and, and to, to show your truth in, in every moment that we go through. Lord, as I, as I look out over our church family, I know there are many stories many stories of, of joy and victory, but also many stories of hurt. And I thank you that this morning that you meet us when sadness comes over our hearts and our faces. And that when we spend time with you, that our, our hearts stir and burn within us. So Lord, I pray for each person this morning as, as, we, as we spend time together and time with you, that as we leave here, that we'll be reminded um, to, to always look for the living, Father, to, to always keep our eyes on you. And Lord, I thank you for the promises that you give us that you will always be with us. Father, we thank you for your incredible sacrifice that you sent your son, and we thank you for your love and your grace. I ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.
I'm sure you've noticed today we've spent the bulk of our time dealing with different reactions to the resurrection. Rather than focusing our whole morning on the suffering of Christ. Uh, the reason for this today is, uh, well, it's, it, it is Easter after all uh, today, but primarily because the resurrection is the reality that we live in day to day. We don't live uh, in the reality or the, the, the past, the history of his death. We live in the resurrection. That's our reality now. For you and me, we live in the reality, the truth of his resurrection. Our human nature wants uh, to dwell in suffering, however, most of the time, we, we cherish the suffering for whatever reason, rather than the victory. We get consumed with disappointment. It occupies our, our whole attention, our mind, rather than filled with hope and excitement of life. I, I think it may be because uh, we've all had our share of disappointment and because our, our memories are filled with experience rather than uh, future thrills or successes. Uh, because they haven't happened yet, we don't look that direction, right? There's nothing we can remember yet because it hasn't happened. The resurrection, once and for all, sorts out our past, yes, but also our present. And it and, and also, wait for it, sorts out our future. The, the future is guaranteed because of the resurrection. It's something we can anticipate, although we haven't seen it yet. We know that it's coming, and we can count on it. So we should shift our affections, uh, our attention, and all of our energies towards the guaranteed victorious future we have in Christ. We really need to live in awe of God and in awe of the resurrection. Acts chapter 1 just tells a story of how this story culminates. It keeps going. Jesus appeared uh, over 200 times, hundreds of times, did many miracles, and, and really gave infallible proofs of his resurrection, the fact that he's alive. He spent 40 days speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Acts 1 reads this way and says, Acts 1 verse 4, and being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put on his own authority, but you shall receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they were looking steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. I love this story because I can see myself right there, not wanting to budge from the last place I saw Jesus. 
standing, looking up. I mean, they watched him go. Of all the amazing miraculous that they had seen, they'd seen him be crucified, they'd seen him suffer, and then they'd seen him rise again. They'd seen him do miracles. They'd seen so much of the supernatural, the amazing actions of their Savior. And now he's been taken up. He ascends into heaven, and they're watching, waiting. And two angels come down and say, Guys, why are you gazing up into the sky? The same way, he, the same way he's gone up will be the same way he comes back. Jesus has already told them, Wait in Jerusalem for the power of the Holy Spirit to come on your lives. They go. And we see that they sit in, in an upper room, about 120 of them. And who all was there? Mary, who had been at the foot of the cross. All the family of Jesus was sitting in this upper room. And who else was there? Thomas, thank you. Thomas <laughs> was sitting there also waiting, praying and expecting the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. This is what God did in their lives. We see this. Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. The power of God, uh, unlike they've ever seen before, descends on them as tongues of fires, and they speak in different languages. What languages? The gospel. They speak the gospel in different languages. And Peter preaches a sermon with the kind of boldness that he did not have when he was trying to walk on water. Peter preaches a sermon about the living Savior. He preaches boldly about the resurrection at the risk of being killed. And thus started this movement that we read about today and that we are recipients of this amazing blessing that started back then. That day, after an amazing sermon, over 3,000 were added to their numbers. If you keep reading in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, you see that... Uh, the believers continued to function, to operate. They weren't stuck looking up into the sky. They went on and looked down the road and allowed the Holy Spirit to fill them with power. We're told in Acts chapter 2 that a deep sense of awe came over them all. They lived in the sense of awe of the resurrection, the sense of awe of the Savior, Jesus Christ. The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Acts tracks these numbers. We go from 3,000 to 5,000. Ultimately, we're at 20,000. And then by, towards the end of the book of Acts, they stop counting. There's just so many. <laughs> it talks about everyone, many, multitudes. And if we track history over the years, we see in those first 200 years or so, the church actually took over nations. The church was in every nation. Rome became a Christian nation. And we see Asia, Africa, the impact of this truth, the power of Jesus Christ moving and, and acting in an organic way to where the gospel is multiplying exponentially across the nations. This is the result of the resurrection. Jesus has commissioned us 
to be his witnesses. The living Jesus, who is alive today, commissions us. But we can get stuck looking up into the sky, waiting for the right home, inactive until it happens. The resurrection, though, says that we must not look up only. We must look down the road. That's the invitation. We look up instead of looking down the road often. Let's not get stuck on our conversion and miss our commission. Gazing at the past, telling great stories of what was instead of what could be. Floundering in history instead of making it. Letting what's been ruin our grin. That was for DV8. <laughs> A little rap there. The resurrection means that Christ makes his home in our hearts when we believe. We need to stay in awe of his presence and follow his lead. Operate in the spirit, not as a critic. We should be forgetting the past and straining for what is ahead. That's really what gives us street cred. <laughs> Let's live in awe. The resurrection is our reality. The, res the resurrection once and for all sorts out our past, sorts out our present, and also sorts out our future. So we need to shift our affections, shift our attention, and all of our energies on the guaranteed victorious future we have mm. in Christ. Mm. We need to live in all mm. of God because of this reality. Amen. This is Rico Vecca, and I am also a pastor at New Song Family Church. I want to thank you for listening to this message today, and it is my hope that you will join us again for another New Song Family Church podcast. <laughs>